0: Staying in contact, I'm London Mitchell. If you are interested at all in politics and how our system of government works, or should work, I think you'll find our discussion in this installment interesting and insightful. No, we are not going to talk in terms of red or blue, conservative or moderate. What we are going to discuss is the possible corrupting influence of Corporation Interests in Politics. My guest is Greg Coleridge, co-director of Move to Amend. The organization is fighting for a constitutional amendment that would firmly establish that how a corporation spends its money is not protected by the right of free speech, and that only human beings, not corporations, are entitled to constitutional rights. But the Supreme Court, in a 1976 ruling, said corporations can channel their money to support political campaigns and candidates, and contributing to super PACs and providing so-called dark money is a right that corporations have under the First Amendment.
1: So the whole notion of corporate entities having constitutional rights is so far afield from what the intent Of those who founded this country. And, you know, let's face it, there were a few blind spots. Was there not by our founders in many ways, in many ways. But one thing they were spot on correct about was to make sure that the entities they created were subordinates, were deferring, had deference to we the people and those we elected, namely our state legislators. So there's no mention. If you look in the constitution, there's no mention of corporations having any. Well, there's no mention of corporations at all. Never mind having constitutional rights. That only happened when early on, after several you know, decades of companies being deferential and subordinate and feeling that they were too rigidly defined and closely controlled, you know, because states were were sort of flexing their democratic muscles when they were defining and controlling these corporate entities. They figured out what the heck are we going to do to try to gain more power and authority And so they figured out how to escape democratic control in three different ways. And these are really important for people to understand. The first was to say, we want to be defined not at a state level, but at a federal level. So they, you know, sort of uh, filed suit in state court to saying you at the state level don't have the power and authority to do this. We want to be defined. We want to be authorized federal level because, you know, some of our businesses now go beyond state lines. And so they were able to sort of escape uh, definition from the s- state level to the federal level. And it's actually very similar to what's going on today, London, in which these so-called international trade deals aren't really about trade at all, be it free or fair. It's about who rules and who governs. And these, you know, kangaroo court uh, uh, tribunals that are set up, under the world trade organization and nafta and other so-called trade deals that are again not about trade but about governance in which corporations through these tribunals can can preempt even national laws at the nation state level so that was one way that corporate entities escape control the second was to say you know what we want to and we will abide by regulations and so the whole regulatory apparatus beginning with the international uh, commerce or the international um uh icc uh, commerce uh, commission was created to to regulate uh railroads and the reason why you would think that's counterintuitive why would regulate you know why would the railroad industry want to be regulated by a government agency well very simple because you know back 100 years ago there was a big effort to sort of democratize to have public ownership of all sorts of things, utilities in particular. And, you know, I, I know you're from the Toledo area and the yes. mayor of Toledo, Toledo at one time, Golden Rule Jones, was big into public ownership of, uh, you know, public services. And so this was sort of a way to sort of, uh, avert public ownership to say we can maintain private ownership of um, railroads, but we'll be regulated by this agency. And of course, once they established regulatory agencies, the companies right away went to try to influence who those regulators were, and you know, to make sure that the Senate or that the state senators or the governors who appointed uh, these regulators were basically, you know beholden or favorable to or may have been former, uh, railroad executives. Uh, so that's the second way that they escaped democratic control and these charters in the third way was to escape from the state legislature to the Supreme Court, to now say that this is beyond sort of a democratic decision-making. We're, we're going to start moving the decision-making of what is a, a person from a, and you know, who has the right to be involved in society and the power and the authority from the legislative arena at the state level to now the courts. And when you do that, you know, no longer... To do you and I and people at a citizen level have really any power and authority? You know, when it's at a, at a state level, and it's at a legislative level, you know, you and I can try to influence the legislators, or you and I can try to get an initiative on the ballot, a citizen-driven ballot initiative to try to say no. You know, uh, First Energy shouldn't be able to uh, be involved in the kind of corrupt practices that they're involved in and to, and to hijack and pass HB6 as they did. We ought to try to do that. But when you go to the federal, when you go to the, the courts, now, all of a sudden, this is a decision outside democratic purview. It's now, you know, at best, we're in the stands cheering or booing, you know, what a Supreme Court a group says. We're not on the feet in the decisions. So that's the origin of corporate constitutional rights, where Supreme Court justices favorable to corporate entities and corporate attorneys went to the court and said, we believe we have the same inalienable constitutional rights never intended under the Bill of Rights and under the 14th uh, Amendment that were intended solely and exclusively for human beings. Bizarre.
0: Now, there was, or you are proposing uh, a solution, but it means a lot of us getting involved.
1: It does. It's called the We the People Amendment, HGR 48. It's been introduced five times in Congress. Each time it's been... Uh, it's garnered a lot more support than before. We're up to 95 uh, supporters in Congress, uh, including Marcy Captor from uh, Northwestern Ohio. And, uh, um, you know, it would call for two functions. One, uh, this notion, it would abolish all forms of corporate constitutional rights, including First Amendment free speech, the right not to speak, Fourth Amendment search and seizure, Fifth Amendment uh, takings rights and 14th Amendment due process and equal protection that were intended solely and exclusively for free black slaves. And second feature of it, it would declare that money is not a form of free speech and should be able to be regulated, if not uh, controlled at the local state and federal level. And that could also mean we don't want any private money in elections. We want public funding. But that w- decision would be to local city council, state legislatures and the federal government. So that's what this amendment to the Constitution would be. And people can you know, find out more information about that. Move to men.org uh, forward slash amendment.
0: Should the uh, the amendment pass, I, I can see a huge change in how uh, political campaigns are, are operated or funded for sure.
1: Well, it absolutely would. Um, it could be uh, dramatically changed and. The beauty of it is that the specifics of what that change would be would be determined democratically. Because what this decision does, basically, it's, in a sense, is very conservative. Because what it's doing is it's shifting back from what corporate entities and what uh, you know companies can. And by the way, it should be said this applies to unions as well. Unions, labor unions, are a artificial legal fiction in the same way that for-profit corporations are and nonprofit corporations are. So this applies to all corporate entities. Of course, those that have been abusing the system and creating much greater um, uh, power for themselves are for-profit business corporations, but absolutely and positively, it could be very transformative. And the exact and precise look of what that transformation would be, would be the beauty of it, is that would be decided by those of us at the local, state, and federal level either directly by things that we can get on the ballot. If we're fortunate enough to live like in Ohio, uh, where we can get ballot initiatives calling for, say, public financing or eliminating uh, independent expenditures or doing whatever, um, at the state level and or at the federal level of course if it's at the federal level we don't have the opportunity to do direct democracy through ballot initiatives it would have to be through surrogates right through our elected representatives but we could still influence them to do whatever it is we want to do to make our elections more quote-unquote democratic that would ultimately be up to us
0: and the website address again is movetoamend.org.org
1: and if individuals want to become more involved we have 400, about 492,000 people that have signed our motion to amend. So if individuals are interested in getting more information about that and supporting this and why it's so important to have those kinds of numbers is that when we go, as we do every congressional session, beginning again next January, a month from now, we start all over. So we're back to zero in the new HJR 48 We the People amendment. So we'll be reaching out to people like Marcy Kaptur and every other representative across the country, encouraging them to sign on. So people who do sign on, we can take those numbers of people by the congressional district who we're meeting with and say, look, 6,812 people in your congressional district want to uh, pass this. So to do that, go to move2amend.org forward slash motion, M-O-T-I-O-N. And that's where you can sign up to, uh, to be part of this growing uh, democracy movement
0: incredibly insightful conversation with you this morning, and I appreciate you joining us.
1: Well, I appreciate uh, the invite. And, you know, there's a Chinese saying that says, you are likely to end up where you were headed. And don't look now, my friends, but where we're headed is not a very pretty democratic place unless we step up and take charge. And it's up to us. You know, we've left it to the politicians to do the right thing, and they, you know, only go kind of so far. But the political system and the and the powers to be and the power lead in the corporate uh, entities uh, have influenced them. So it's ultimately going to be up to us as it has been in previous generations past to drive ourselves into the constitution what we should be or in this case to drive corporate entities out of the constitution. So let's take the challenge and step up and and, uh, take ownership of our democracy.
0: I want to thank my guest, Greg Coleridge from Move to Amend. The website address for more information is movetoamend.org. Please let me know how you enjoyed today's installment by going to my webpage, londonmitchell.news, and adding a comment or follow the link to send me an email. I'm London Mitchell, inviting you to join me again next week, staying in contact.